welcome to New Philly and happy Easter. If this is your first time joining us here, we're not always this crazy, but we are becoming this crazy on a regular basis. So this is what you see is what you get. Um, this is our second week here at Heart House. And really the Lord has provided for us in so many incredible ways. And it's very exciting for us to walk through this season together. Um, for the last few weeks, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit. The last few... Yeah. Yes. We have been talking about the Holy Spirit. I was told last week that I'm way too short and people in the back can't see me. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, man. I was told to wear different shoes and I, nah, um, we'll see. We'll see. I don't know if you guys will be able to see the slides, but, um, I hope I don't block too many slides for too many people. Um, yeah. So, um, it is resurrection Sunday and we are still in the middle of this, um, sermon series on the Holy Spirit. And I believe that it's not uh, a coincidence that it falls on a resurrection Sunday, because one prerequisite for us, when we talk about resurrection, there's one prerequisite for you to talk about, you know, resurrection, and that is you need to be dead, right? You cannot be raised back to life if you're not first dead, right? So we must first talk about the death that happens on Good Friday, the loss the grief, the death, we cannot just gloss over that and rush on to the resurrection. We have to talk about what happens before. We need to fully take it in. We need to acknowledge it. We need to meditate before it so that when we talk about resurrection, we can properly understand the impact and the power of the empty grave. So last three weeks, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit. This is a season for us to seek him once again. We want to see him moving afresh. We've been talking about the power and also the necessity of the Holy Spirit. How it is so preposterous and so arrogant for us to believe that, look, I can do this on my own. Look, God, once you save me, I'm good. I'm good now. I don't really need your help anymore. It's so arrogant for us to say that because that, may, that means that we believe that we can do God's assignment, God's mission on our own strength. So today we'll be talking about the surrender to the Holy Spirit that yields new life and resurrection power. I don't know how the series has been for you so far, um, but this is an encouragement that I give to you today. Whatever it is that you hear here, I want you to take it home to your secret place. Um, I don't know how it's been for you, but sometimes for me, my most powerful encounters with the Holy Spirit have been when I'm on my own. I've taken everything in, And I go back, you know, go back home and I sit before him and, you know, I pull out my sermon notes or I pull out different passages and I ask the Holy Spirit, is this true? Is this true? Is this true in my life? Do I have access to this in my life? And I begin to converse with the Holy Spirit. And often that's where the Holy Spirit encounters me most powerfully. So sometimes we come into a service like this and we expect, all right, all the transformation that needs to happen to me is going to happen in the next 20 minutes. That's kind of like the mentality that we have. So like, Holy Spirit, you got 20 minutes to blast me with your fire, you know? And that it, it doesn't often, it sometimes does, right? Sometimes in God's grace, it does happen. But often uh, the breakthrough and the encounter that we, that we need doesn't happen in this place. It also happens afterwards as well. So my encouragement to you is that, you, you take this home and you meditate on it. You chew on it. You look up the scripture and you pray before God and you seek him in the secret place. Because what God is waiting for is for us to reach the realization that if only we wait for him. We don't rush ahead. 
Just like the Holy Spirit said, look, you need to wait in Jerusalem until you're baptized with power from on high. In that same way, we need to also acknowledge that we cannot just move ahead without waiting for the Lord, without waiting for power. So last week, we briefly, super briefly, we talked about two different ways in which the Holy Spirit works. One was the indwelling ministry of the, the Holy Spirit. Um, and then the other is the empowering ministry of the Holy Spirit. So the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit, it refers to the fruit of the Spirit. So this is internally what happens to us. Internally, what happens to us when... Oh, uh, yes, I don't want to touch your guitar. Um, <laughs> um, what happens to us when the Holy Spirit dwells in us. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things, there's no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. It's the fruit. It's not the fruits. Like sometimes we say like, oh, I have this fruit, but I don't have this fruit. It's one fruit. It's like the, the result of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. All these things show up in our lives, not because we're trying harder, but because God is transforming us from the inside out through the power of his spirit. Now, when we talk about the empowering ministry of the spirit. Yeah, the gifts of the spirit. Um, okay, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. The word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, gift of prophecy, gift of faith, gifts of healing, working of miracles, discerning of spirits, different kinds of tongues, the interpretation of tongues, etc. So this is just a brief listing of these supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, for someone like me, someone who was raised in a very conservative church, um, we never talked about these gifts. It was like very taboo. Um, our, our approach was usually like, look, there's so many things that we can understand about the Christian faith. So why don't we just focus on that? You know, the other stuff, if it comes, it comes. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But there was a sense of like the, the mysterious things. Let's just leave them aside and let's pursue what we actually can understand. But what I didn't know about that approach is that it shut me off to so many miraculous workings that God wanted to break through in my life. And yet I would kind of shut it down. I was like, no, God doesn't work like this anymore. Like, no, I don't really know. I'm kind of nervous about how I feel about this. So I don't want any prophetic word from you. I don't want you to pray on me. I don't want you to lay hands on me. I kind of just want to, you know, you know, kind of take, uh, keep distance from these things. But what I didn't know is that the Holy Spirit wanted to bless me. He wanted to bless me. Um, I cannot, I wish there was a very convincing way to, to tell you, like, these are good things. It comes from a good father. It is given through a good spirit. It is given to people to bless the body. It's actually not for you per se. It is for you to bless someone else, to edify the body. And I didn't really understand this until somebody really did bless me through these gifts. I remember there was this one random Sunday when, um, there's a sister who was praying for me and, you know, she was praying, you know, and I was kind of like on guard. Um, and then after, you know, she, she prayed a really good prayer. And then she said, you know, like, I, I hope you don't take this very, you know, kind of like awkwardly. But when I was praying for you, I saw this vision and then she shared this vision and something happened in me when she shared that vision. I, because it was so precise and it spoke exactly to what the desires in my heart were, it wasn't just like, wow, you're prophetic. It wasn't that. It was, you know, it wasn't about this person per se. I felt seen by God, right? It wasn't just like, oh, God is blessing y'all, you know, y'all. But it was like God was honing in on me and he had a very specific word for me. 
And I felt so edified. I felt so built up, so encouraged that after that, I was like, this is why the body of Christ needs these gifts. This is why. It's not to show off. It's not to like, woo, there's all these supernatural things. It's, it's to build up the body. Someone needs encouragement. Somebody needs a word. Somebody needs to be built up. And instead of God just giving it to them straight, sometimes he'll give it to you, their neighbor and ask that neighbor to bless them. And that's how we are edified by one another as well. So I'm going to start with a quote from um, R.T. Kendall, and this is what he says in his, in his book, Sensitivity of the Holy Spirit. One of the hardest lessons for us to learn is that we cannot monopolize the Holy Spirit. We cannot get a corner on the Holy Spirit market. He is not for sale. He will not allow himself to be franchised like a fast food chain. We must therefore reverence him, honor him, let him be himself. We must flow with him and not try to coerce him to flow with us. Otherwise, he will back off very quietly and imperceptibly (laughs) while we carry on our way like Joseph and Mary on the way back to Galilee, assuming that the Lord was with them. He wasn't. They had to go back and look for him until they found him. And this is what we have to do. So this hopefully sets us you know, sets our hearts in a, in a particular posture. This journey we are on, it demands humility. It demands a trust and it demands a surrender to the spirit. It requires us to ask for forgiveness from the Holy Spirit if we have grieved him. The Holy Spirit is a person. It's not an it. It's not a power. It's not, a, it's not like fairy dust. It is a person from the Trinity. He has volition. He has feelings. Do you know that you can hurt his feelings? You can hurt his feelings, just like you can hurt the feelings of a friend. You can hurt the feelings of the Holy Spirit as well. So if there's any ways in which we have grieved him or we have quenched the spirit, we do need to ask for forgiveness. If we have blocked him out or if we have attempted to use him for our own benefit. This is the thing. We cannot fool the Holy Spirit. We cannot trick him. He is patient and he's forgiven, but he's not stupid. He's good and he's kind, but he is not to be manipulated. So at this juncture, I wanted to clarify something. The reason why we're asking for the Holy Spirit and we're seeking for the Holy Spirit to move afresh in our midst isn't so that our worship is more lively or our careers are more fulfilling or that our gatherings are more pleasant or our lives are easier. This is not the reason why we're seeking him. It isn't so that New Philly is known as the, wow, they're such a charismatic and powerful church. This is not so that we can spice up our spiritual walk. We need to make clear that, yes, the Holy Spirit opens up prison doors and heals the sick and brings words of knowledge and rains fire down from heaven. The Spirit brings joy in the hardest of conditions and strength when our courage fails. But it is also the Spirit that led Jesus into the wilderness to be tested for 40 days. It is also the spirit that led Jesus to the cross. And it is also the spirit that led men and women throughout all of human history to bear the reproach of the cross, to bear the burden of the gospel, even at the cost of their lives, so that the name of Jesus will be exalted on this earth. So the only reason why we're seeking this isn't for our benefit. It is to glorify God. If we want to be equipped 
to exalt the name of Jesus in this generation, in this nation, with all the different idols that are, you know, all around us, with all the different obstacles that are all around us, we need the power of the Spirit. So what we're asking for isn't something light and fun and carefree, although he manifests in many ways in that way. We are inviting a person into our lives and into our midst, a person that has something higher than our comfort in mind. So I wanted to make that clear. It's a disclaimer so that, you know, weeks from now or months from now, the question isn't, but I thought my life would be better. You know, but I thought my problems would be solved. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will lead us right into the middle of a problem. You know, sometimes he will confront all of our idols. He will surface things in our hearts because we've given him access because we've invited him in. So this is a very dangerous proposition that I have for our community as we are seeking the Holy Spirit together. doesn't mean that things are going to be super easy, that it's going to be rosy from here on out. It means that we are bringing in the Holy Spirit to move and to lead us and to empower us in whichever way he sees fit. And so as a community, we need to have that posture of surrender. If we are here and we say, Holy Spirit, we want more of you, but, but we want you to move in a certain way, look a certain way in my life, fix this problem I have first, you come on my terms, Uh, We are limiting the Holy Spirit, and that is not the posture of surrender. So a couple of days ago, we observed Good Friday when we remembered the day that Christ was crucified for our sins. And when he was on the cross, he submitted himself to the will of the Father. He took on our sins. He took on the weight of our death, and he was nailed to a cross. And it is that moment where the debt that we owed, it was paid on our behalf. The death that we should have died, he died on our behalf. It was assumed by God himself. But let me make this, this point that it might be a little bit unconventional. This is what I believe. I believe that the cross was actually the outworking of a surrender that happened hours before that. And that happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's where the wrestling happened. That's where Jesus was crying out to the Father, Father, take this cup away from me. It is the moment of decision actually happened before the crucifixion happened. So in Luke 22, it says, and he came out and went as was custom to the Mount of Olives and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed saying, father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So this is the moment of surrender. This is the moment where Jesus says, there's something that I desire. Yes, I don't desire pain. It's not Christian to say, like, bring on the pain. That's not Christian, okay? That is just masochistic. Like, that's not Christian. It is Christian to say, Lord, I don't want pain. I don't want discomfort. I don't want grief. I don't want loss. Yet, if it is your will, let it be done so in my life. That is the posture. And perhaps this shows us how we, in turn, ought to posture our hearts. We ask for respite from suffering and pain and loss and sickness. But at the end of the day, we submit it to the Father's hands and the Father's will. And this is what Christ himself did in the Garden of Gethsemane hours before he was nailed on the cross. And this is how God responded to him. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. So sometimes God will answer, not by taking away the agony, but actually strengthening us to go through it. 
He won't always aim for us to find breakthrough so that we don't need to pray anymore. He gives us strength so that we pray even more. Does that make sense? Like our aim isn't, Lord, I hope that a year from today, I won't need to pray at all. Like everything's so great that I really won't need to pray at all. I won't have any needs. Everything will be done for me. That's not the aim. Sometimes God will answer by giving us strength so that we can pray. So that we can submit to the will of the Father. So that we can persevere. So that we can glorify God. So only after a few hours of being in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus hangs on the cross. And we see that all the disciples have abandoned him. Peter, who adamantly said, all these guys, they're going to betray you, but I'm going to stand with you. Even he had abandoned him. Judas, who walked with him for three years, for 30 pieces of silver, he delivered him to the religious leaders. All the followers, all the people who had been healed, forgiven, ministered to, all of them were long gone. They were no longer there. And then in Luke 23, it says, it was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. In this moment of utter abandonment, in this moment when not just the people turned their backs on him, God, the Father himself, turned his back on his very own son. Even then, in a posture of surrender, in a posture of trust, Jesus cries out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now, when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowd assembled for the spectacle. When they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the woman who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning The woman who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. Let me ask you a quick question. What are spices and ointments used for? For a dead body, right? So if you're preparing something for a dead body, you assume that there's going to be a dead body when you go there, right? So even though they had heard teachings from Jesus... Look, I will be betrayed. Look, I will die. Look, all these things are going to happen. But on the third day, I'm going to rise up from the dead. I'm going to be resurrected. If you actually believe that, you wouldn't prepare any ointments, would you? You wouldn't prepare any spices. So the unbelief had settled to to that degree. They were fully expecting a dead body to be there in the tomb by the time they got there. So on the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week, so this is Sunday, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, 
behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the rest. So there's a moment where like, oh yeah, that's right. He did say that. Okay. It makes sense. And so now they're like, okay, so this is for real. They go back to where the the other 11, the other disciples were, and they're going to tell them what just happened. But we're going to see now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James. So this is Mary, the mother of also Jesus, because James was half his half brother and the other woman with them who told these things to apostles. But these words seemed to them like an idle tale and they did not believe them. So there wasn't a moment of like, ah, there wasn't that for them. They're like, oh, heck no. Like, what are you talking about? They had multiple witnesses and yet. They didn't believe it. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. And he saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. So this is the good news of the gospel. That we were dead in our sin and our unbelief, just like these disciples, just like these women in the tomb. We had seen everything happen, and yet we were filled with unbelief. So that God had to come down and dwell among us. Jesus lived a perfect life. He died an unjust and brutal death, taking our place on that cross so that we would take his place as sons and daughters of God. That is a miracle that happened at crucifixion. Jesus paid the penalty that we owed. And on the third day, despite all the hopelessness and all the unbelief, he rose again from the dead and the empty grave seals our fate as well. We are now destined to live a life that defies the grave, a life that is eternal, that is filled with that spirit of resurrection that emptied the grave. Now, Eugene Peterson, in the message version of the Bible, he writes about the power of the spirit of resurrection at work in our lives. In Romans 8, if you've never read um, Romans 8 in the message, I really highly encourage you to do that. It, it is a beautifully you know, adapted uh, you know, passage of scripture. And this is how He says it. With the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, that fateful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous, low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with a problem as something remote and unimportant. In his son, Jesus, he personally took on the human condition, entered this disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. The law code, Weakened as it always was by fractured human nature could never have done that. The law always ended up being used as a band-aid on sin instead of a deep healing of it. 
And now what the law code asked for, but we couldn't deliver, is accomplished. As we, instead of redoubling our own efforts, simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. Those who think they can do it on their own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle, but never get around to exercising it in real life. But those who trust God's action in them find that God's spirit is in them, living and breathing God. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. Attention to God leads us out into the open, into a spacious, free life. So don't you see that we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent? I have no idea what a red cent is, but I'm sure it's not worth very much. There is nothing in it for us, nothing at all. The best thing to do is give it a decent burial and get on with your new life. God's spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go. This resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant. Greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who he is, and we know who we are, father and children. And this is the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. It is not someone sure that us to not feel alone. It is not someone who's just here to make sure that he smooths the path for us and that we don't have too hard of a time. It is someone who is out on a mission to glorify the son. And if we let him into our lives, if we welcome him into our midst, we're going to see him doing things we never thought we would see in this lifetime. Just like the disciples, they were told, wait in the upper room until you're clothed with power from on high. I can't imagine what would have happened if they had said, look, we're powerful enough. We've received enough teaching. We've seen Jesus healing. We've seen him doing stuff. I feel like, I feel like we got enough to go on. You know, I feel like we have enough at least to get started. But what they saw the Holy Spirit do in one message, he, uh, bringing to salvation hundreds of people in one sitting, that is something that no matter how hard they would have tried for years and perhaps even decades, they would not have been able to accomplish. It is solely through the power of the Spirit. So today, as it is Resurrection Sunday, I want to challenge you, especially if you are a bit on the fence regarding the Holy Spirit. If you've never seen the Holy Spirit working supernaturally in your life. Can I point out something very obvious? An empty grave shouldn't make sense, right? It is a miracle. It is supernatural. It will not make sense. So if, if we're able to base our entire faith on the fact that there is an empty grave, that Jesus Christ was truly dead and he truly rose again on the third day, then there are no limits for the Holy Spirit. There are no limits for God. If we can say with all of our hearts that I believe in that, then it is the same as saying, I believe that God is able to move even today. Sickness is nothing to him. Our circumstances are nothing to him. The unsaved, the obstacles, the persecution, that is nothing to him. He can do whatever he wants if only we would let him work through us. 
So I want to encourage you in the same way that we put our faith in the fact that Jesus Christ, who was dead, was risen to life as well. We believe in that same spirit of resurrection that is still at work today. The spirit is still at work in us today. He's here in our midst. He's at work in our lives. And he's waiting for us to give him even greater entry, greater access into our lives as well. That is the kind of church that we want to become. A church that believes that God is still able to move. A church that believes that God is out to save the lost. That he's out to heal the sick. He's out to move in mighty ways if only we would let him.